The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello. Welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I am the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer. Just a reminder to please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, please check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's going to help people find us. Today's episode is a repeat interview with someone who is doing amazing things in the area of recovery. We had him on the podcast about almost a year and a half ago. His name is Wes Gear, and Wes is a successful rock star, literally a rock star. He founded the rock band Head P.E., and he toured with the band Korn. Now, Wes's history with drugs and alcohol started when he was a teenager, and by 2003, he was addicted to methamphetamine, alcohol, and pot. He left Head P.E. in 2003 for a change in his lifestyle, came, claiming he would have died if he'd considered his life, continued his lifestyle at the time, which included the abuse of drugs and alcohol. He made immediate changes, he attended rehab, and he continues to live a health-oriented and active lifestyle, which includes participation in activities such as yoga, meditation, scuba diving, and running. In 2012, he founded Rock to Recovery, which is a nonprofit organization that allows recovering addicts, victims of abuse, and troubled teens to express themselves through song. Rock to Recovery also works with wounded warriors, helping our most valuable citizens, our veterans. Let's chat with Wes Gear. Wes, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm excited to have you back. Excited to be back. Now, I know that you've already kind of shared this with us, so you don't know. I mean, you can give us more like a quick and dirty, but just give us your background in terms of your drug history, how you got involved in drugs and how that progressed. Mm. Yeah. I think the, the origin of anyone's drug use or drug abuse or addiction changes as they grow. Um, I think for me, it was a, a feeling like a kid who never fit in, moving schools a lot, not knowing how to process emotions. Plus also probably a, well, I think, almost definitely a pre a genetic disposition for addiction and alcoholism. Um, so I was struggling in life and school just up here, not even knowing it. And so when I found the, when I found weed and stoners and keg parties, I found a place where I felt comfortable and it felt like it was working for me on some level, uh, being a musician, smoking tons of weed and playing guitar all day was a very happy, safe place for me. But as it as it was coddling me in one way, it was also changing me and destroy, uh, giving me the opportunity to destroy my life in other ways and disconnect from mom and all that. Um, and you know, we talk about addiction as progressive disease. It got worse and worse and worse. And while it was getting worse, I was also having more success than I had experienced previously in the world of music. So I thought it was my muse. I thought it was helping me with women and other things, but. And it's like was divergent. It was hurting me and helping me and arguably in both ways. And uh, so when I finally got my record deal, I was at the height of my drug use, using more worse drugs, one of which was meth than ever. And uh, 
I was doing a lot of meth and being very creative artistically. So I got the record deal, toured around the world and uh, um, quit the hard drugs. And then my drinking went way up. But, you know, when you're trying to define what is alcoholism, what is addiction, I was like many of us, as I shall say, trying to prove I had it under control. And so when you change from one thing to the other, you're like, see, I'm doing better now. See, and it's like, no, you're not. But you think you are. And uh, so um, ultimately, but you know, there's so, it's funny because we're so blind. I was so blind, like these things that I was using as markers for showing control and resolve and all that were, were small in comparison to all the other stuff that was going on, which is what we know is that like addiction and, and is attached to a big mental health issue. And it was attached to me to like, SLA stuff like sex and love addiction, which isn't just like for people listening, it isn't just like I get, it wasn't like I was getting five screens of porn going. It wasn't that, but it was seeking women to make myself feel better in lieu of connecting with men in quality relationships. So it was like, it didn't even matter if I was doing anything sexually. It was like, I just had to have her next to me with that bottle of whiskey, but I didn't know that. And I wouldn't have told that story long ago. But it's part of all the attachment. It's all part of the same pill I was taking, if you, if you can relate to that. So I got it, went to rehab, and that's where I was introduced to his 12-step program. I didn't want anything to do with the 12-step program. I just thought meth and heroin was my problem. But when I read that literature, which was pioneering, it's important in the annals of medical history that we realize that the 12 steps as applied to alcoholism was pioneering the disease model of addiction saying this is beyond just, you know, bet poor willpower that the, there's a class of people that have the allergy. So I learned about having the allergy. Oh, that's why, even though I don't really like Corona or Jägermeister's not even my favorite thing. When I drink it, it sets off the allergy, which produces the phenomenon of craving, which means I'm at the cocaine dealer's house, even though I don't even like cocaine and don't really care about Corona. Whoa, and it explained a lot for me. Um, so that that's kind of it in the history. And I went to rehab and I, I bought into these practices they were teaching. And that's how I got sober for the first time in 2004. That's awesome. Wes, one of the things we talk, we like to talk about on the uh, podcast is, um, this is why we call it point of no return, which is what for you was the wake-up call? I mean, you're a successful rock star. You're, you know, you're living the life. What, what made you decide you had to do rehab? You couldn't carry on that way. What was that point for you? They call it in recovery. Often they call it a moment of clarity. Um, you know, a bottom is when we stop digging. I think sometimes people look at this bottom as like this magical piece but you can hit a bottom and then go hit another one and another one and another one. So um, for me, I was losing, 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 losing. The band was falling apart. My, I was the leader of the band at one point, and then I had no credibility. When I, it used to be when I opened my mouth, they were like, okay, yeah, Wes, what is it? And then it turned into like, we don't even want to hear a word you have to say, dude. So I lost credibility. I, lost, uh, I had, was carrying a lot of shame and guilt from the lifestyle. I lost the band. And this and was I, Head PR, right? That's P, the band? Head PE, yeah. Head PE, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no worries. And we, uh, you know, we sold, you know, about a million records and we're on MTV and all these kind of things. So, uh, so I lost the band and I was working with my brother, which was a great job. But at that point I had lost my soul, not just because I had a day job, but just 
it was a crushing blow. So then he fired me. So to, the short answer is loss. Loss is what had me get there. But when I was, I told him, you know what? I quit these drugs before. I, I told my brother that I'll quit them again. I'll get this under wraps. And I, I kept going back. I kept relapsing, if you will. Um, and then he fired me. And, and this is important because people reach out to me all the time with talking about, uh, you know, how do I help this person? How do I help this person? You know how you help them? Don't help them. Tell them you're done helping them. Tell them you're out. Tell them you're cut off. Because as long as we, if, if my brother was like, you know, I know you're struggling. Let me give you $5,000 and get you on your feet. That would have killed me. So he fired me and he said, and he doesn't know much. He's just a smart enough guy. He's like, you know what? You're done. You're fired. You're out of here. If you go get help, maybe, maybe you can get your job back. I don't know. No guarantees there. But if you're going to keep doing what you're doing, I'm done with you. And he told my family that. And I was at the crossroads. And even then, even then, I sat, because at this time I moved into his house to try to run away from all the bad people. Um, I sat in the house and I had a couple grand in the bank account. And I thought, maybe I'll just go to Thailand and ride elephants. Because I didn't know what recovery looked like. But even then, the point is, I still almost didn't choose rehab. But as I laid there, I, I, I started crying. I'm not a big crier. And I don't say that out of ego. I wish I cried more. You know, there's such power in, in feeling those emotions. But I started bawling. And my moment of clarity was saying to myself, dude, you're out of control. And what that meant to me is like, you're not controlling it any of this. Every time you set out with a target, you miss it. Every time you go to have a beer, you miss it. Yeah. Friday, did I have two margaritas and pull it off and it was not a problem? Sure. I could always pick out one or two times where I didn't get destroyed in the ring, if you will. But my life was a, a pitiful, you know, fall into despair being out of control the whole way. Right. You know, you said something interesting um, that I, I realized recently. You, you talk about being allergic to the drugs. And um, I kind of sort of put it a different way. And that is that, you know, a lot of these drugs, they, they alter the brain chemistry. And so, whereas, you know, maybe I can have a glass of wine and it alters my brain chemistry to the point where I feel fuzzy and then that's it, I go to bed somebody else, then they want to drink the whole bottle. Or um, it's kind of similarly with psychiatric medications, because you find people who can take um, an antidepressant and it helps them. And then you find someone who takes an antidepressant and they go off and shoot people. So it's, it's an interesting way to look at it as an allergy, but it, you're, it's the, yeah, it's basically the same thing. Well, that's how, if we're just going to call, you know, we're just going to go right at it. In the big books, Al Alcoholics Anonymous, at the time that they wrote it in the 1930s, there was a class of people that, know, that were not recovering. And the experts, the experts of the time in addiction and alcoholism said, if you're in this class, there's little hope for you. Jails, institutions of death, you will not recover. We don't see it, except for once in a while, these miracles that are spiritually based. And I'm a doctor and I can't speak to that. But these same doctors said that this, in this class of people, we feel that is something like an allergy. This is beyond willpower. They had cases where guys were going to make millions of dollars if they just stay sober till Tuesday, and still they couldn't. So for me, it's entirely true. When I put something in me, it produces the phenomenon of craving. And I think this is a very important part that's really left out of 
uh, the speak of addiction um, because I think people need, I think in my dream, I would hope that it would be embraced entirely by the medical and recovery, just no, actually by the world, because I'm telling you, there's plenty of proof uh, to this fact. Uh, for, for example, people stay sober 20 years and stop doing their recovery program and they pick up a drink and they're dead in a year because that phenomenon kicks in. No length of abstinence will get them there. Now, is, does everybody have this allergy? No. Are some people just not, they're trying not to, fa or they're trying to run from trauma, so they're drinking and if they face the trauma, they'll be fine and they can go back to controlled drinking or using and smoke a little, yeah, sure. But there is a class of people that cannot and will not ever be able to drink safely. And I am in that class because I've tested it ad nauseum, as they say. I understand. Um, so you had your point of no return and you did your rehab. Tell a little bit more about what you experienced in rehab because you're kind of a spiritual kind of guy. Uh, what was my experience in rehab? Yeah, well, uh, it's had to start with me going like, well, and hearing certain like cliches and these things we say, but my way hadn't worked in all those years and I was trying it my way. Try to try something new. Uh, I am a 12-step program guy and that is spiritually based. Uh, it was about humility and, and listening and going, okay, what worked for you? And then I got hope from hearing other people tell their stories. And it, and here's the key. I was at least, I don't even take credit for this. Why I'm wired this way and some people aren't. I was told, listen to the similarities, not the differences. But I wasn't a dope slamming heroin junkie. I did mess with heroin, but I wasn't. But I heard a story of a woman who said I was a prostitute sleeping in a park, turning tricks, shooting dope. And then I went and did the 12 steps and I went back to college and met the man of my dreams. And I, now I run a law firm. I was like, what it, you did? That's how you got there. I just, okay, cool. And I bought it and I heard enough of those stories to buy in. And, and that, so that's what rehab was like. It was like realizing that how many times in my life am I going to get a time out from life where all I got to worry about is me and what the heck has been giving me such a hard time my whole life. So I was very open to listening and trying to absorb any practices or information I could to get this transformation they said that was available to me. You know, I think that's great. And I think that's also advice that our listeners can take if they're listening in that, you know, when you, um, you know, when you go to 12 step meetings or even when you listen to the podcast, listen to what the similarities are. If you have a loved one who's mm -hmm. addicted, there's going to be some similarities there. And, you know, rather than saying, oh, well, mine's very different, look at the similarities and see if that's something that you can relate to. I think that's important. It's a, it's a key. We don't, <laughs> it's like if you were talking to, to combat veterans, you would think it was foolish if, there, if one guy said, I saw my friend blow up and my other friend got shot. And then that guy goes, well, we were in a tank and then we, you know, shot missiles. You would, you would, you wouldn't say they were different. You'd say the same. And, but yet we come into addiction and like, well, I was using heroin five times a week. Well, I drank four bottles of wine. Oh, we're so different. It's like, no, it doesn't matter. You're, you're getting loaded and you can't live your life not getting loaded or else you wouldn't be here listening to this podcast or in AA or in rehab or whatever else you're doing. You got a problem and you're, and you're getting loaded one way or another. Exactly. Yeah. 
Wes, how did music figure into your recovery? I know it's a huge part of what you do now, and it's been a huge part of your life all along, but how did it figure into your recovery? When you're new in recovery, uh, you know, I was, we are self-medicating. I had been self-medicating my whole life. And even the days where I thought I wasn't getting loaded, there was always a little something, a beer or some weed or something. So to live an entirely sober life, you're like a raw nerve. Like when your tooth cracks off before you get the crown, you're feeling everything. And so in that rehab, um, I brought my guitar with me. And it's funny, as an artist, when I was out there using, you're on this endless journey to find the cool new chord or the new sound or whatever. It has to be different. Has, and all, you know, you're just coming at, I was coming at it from that angle. When I was, got into rehab, my guitar became like just this pill of relief where I could just strum a D chord. And I never was a big fan of the D chord, just for whatever reason, it was too cheesy and normal for me. Uh, but in rehab, uh, it was hitting me. And so being wrong and feeling its impact, I was really tuned into that and really kind of, wow, okay. And when we, I was in a rehab with 22 dudes and I think it's fair to say that anybody in rehab is full of shame and guilt and insecurities. So it's kind of like, that guy's cool. Screw that guy. He's a weirdo. I'm not even talking to that guy. That guy's my homie. There's a lot of clickiness. But when I would play guitar on our breaks, the walls would be broke down. We'd all come together and guys would start dancing and laughing and we'd do these silly country songs. And I really noticed the power in that. Um, just to transform a room. And this wasn't a hit song. This wasn't a great song. This was me barely twanging on a crappy acoustic, some silly little rhythm and noticing how it could transform a room. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at the addiction podcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narcanon Ojai, visit their website at narcanonojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N ojai.org or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. You know, that is, that's fascinating to me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a singer, so I'm a musician myself, but music really can transcend things going on with people. 
Do you know? Like it's it's like a universal language. I think that's fascinating. It's it's fascinating, and uh, I think I dream that we'll really use music more and and understand it better. That's kind of the goal of rock recovery in part anyhow. Uh, but you have this thing that, you know, anybody will tell you 98% of the population will tell you if you put on a song, it can change the way they feel in a second. And, and it's funny how little we really prescribe music or whatever, you know, I feel like there's a lot more to be discovered there. You know, it's interesting you say that because um, this podcast will go up in a in a few weeks, and hopefully by then the whole coronavirus thing will be gone. But we're in the middle of it right now. We're it's May, it's early May, and um, I was just getting so like mm, about the, you know oh now there's this restriction and that restriction and this restriction, and there was a guy. Oh, I'm so sorry, I don't remember his name, but he posted a video um, about the F virus. And the F virus is fear. And uh-huh. I watched this video and it's, it's so good. And it's a music video on YouTube. And it's before you get the virus, watch this. I think that's how you can find it. And I've seen other ones. My son sent me one. But music makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, everything's, all our problems center in our mind, really. Right. So you could, you could bang your elbow and say it's physical pain, but if you, but if you're not thinking it hurts, if you're not, you know what I mean? It's like, it's honestly that I go kind of deeper and maybe it's a little too esoteric, but like, to me, it's really, really obvious. This physical realm we know scientifically is an illusion. We're stuck in this trap of only what our eyes can see. So we live in this realm where we believe almost this false reality that, you know, it's, there's nothing here. Well, actually there is, there's air. And over here, there's something. Well, actually that's really the same thing as the air. It's just in a different form. But the point is it's like atoms are like a solar system. They're mostly space. And in that space is an undefinable energy. The, what I'm getting at to slowly is everything is energy everything is frequency so the fact that we get so moved energetically emotionally physically by beautiful melodies is not that far-fetched to me what is love it's an energy what is a song it's an energy what does a hug do it makes you feel energy you know what is the sun it's shooting energy it's like (laughs) it just seems pretty obvious to me there's there's definitely something to something to be said. I, I agree with everything that you're saying. You started Rock to Recovery in 2012. So it's 2020 now. You've been doing it for eight years. What are tell me some stories that you've experienced with Rock to Recovery and tell me what you've seen. So, you know, it, it's fun to tell the rock to recovery story as I'm like this virtuous guy, but it's not. It came out of desperation and, and wanting to work and uh, and not knowing where I should go and praying and meditating in the universe. If I'm a sober guy and I need to be sober or else I'm going to die and I'm a musician, seems like that's who I am. How do I help people and make a living? That was really the, the prayer, if you will, that helped me break through. And uh, so I didn't come 
to this as a music therapist or somebody who is super deeply schooled in the concepts of music and therapy and all that, just out of desperation, try to bring music into treatment centers. Uh, and I started an addiction. And so what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that I was really ignorant to the effect and, and so much of the information. And one of the early experiences I had, which I call, it's this guy, Mr. Pink, uh, was one of the first sessions I ever did in a rehab. And, and mind you, I'm going to go write, the idea of Rock Recovery is I'm going to write songs with non-musicians and take 12 dudes or 12 women, whatever, however many people it is, and get them to all sing and play a song we wrote together in an hour. So you can imagine, it's like, how the heck are you going to do that, dude? Well, one of the first sessions, this guy came in late. He was a heroin junkie, and he was dope sick. And for people who don't know what that's like, it's like the worst flu ever, except you can't sleep, and you lose control and defecate yourself and pee on yourself, and you're just in this purgatory hell, depending on how dope sick you are. It can go on for days, if not weeks. So he came in, he's like, yeah, I'm going to die. You know, I really want to live. And he had suicidal ideation. And, you know, like I said, he's dope sick. And why am I in this stupid music group? I'm in this rehab trying to save my life. And you got guitars in here. What's the point of all this? I was like, I get it. I've been in rehab just like you. And here's what we're doing and why we're going to do it. And I got him to buy in. And then he heard the lyrics. You know, they were kind of, they, you know, they were his story because we're all singing from that place. Um, and I took this little pink shaker. This is why we call him Mr. Pink. It was, it looks like a little egg. Uh, and I just go, okay, we're going to, we're writing the song. The verse goes this long. Then we stop and we come in for the course. And here's how you shake the shaker. And within a few minutes, he was out of his chair, shaking the shaker, dancing around. Go, wait, wait, how long does the course go? Okay. So three times and then come back in. Okay. Got it. And this guy never played anything in his life. And by the end, he was like, you could come here next week, aren't you? Oh, this is great. Oh, my God. And I was like, wait, wait, how do you feel? I feel great. So wait, wait, you played a shaker and it changed how you feel physically and mentally. And what they love, you know, because science and especially the people who are paying the insurance companies, they got to quantify everything. They call it measures of wellness. So he changed from suicidal ideation to having hope and belief and happiness. You know, oh, and that was a power experience. Just shaking. Just shaking. a shaker. Yeah. So, you know, to go a little more into that, the thing is that when we listen to music, it engages half our brain. When we play music, it engages our whole brain. So it's exponentially more impactful to our brain and body chemistry, our physical uh, body and everything. So you don't have to be playing Chopin to access that. You don't have to be on the piano. When you're engaged physically, emotionally, and mentally, it's all encompassing. And uh, that's what we experience in Rock to Recovery. I give somebody a couple notes, they're playing a guitar. Well, to them, that is Beethoven. That's as much as they can do. You know what I mean? They're at the peak of their abilities. So. Wow. Magical. I, it, I just, I'm just so impressed with what you do in Rock to Recovery. How many people work with you now in Rock to Recovery? How many people and where do you, like, where do you cover in the U.S.? I know you're in California, but how far reaching is Rock to Recovery? So we have our core program where we're integrated as part of the weekly treat. And by the way, thank you for the kind words. Um, we're integrated as part of the weekly treatment curriculum of over a hundred treatment programs. And so that, that core part of our uh, work that we do is we're up in Portland and all through California from NorCal, San Francisco, 
um, all the way down to the Mexican border, basically. Um, and then we also are in Nashville. I feel like I'm missing something, Nashville. Um, and then we have a contract with the Department of Defense, and they fly us around to different Air Force bases. Um, and we started going internationally with them. So we work internationally with uh, the Air Force Winter Warriors. We work with the, the Navy. And uh, so we're all over. <laughs> we're worldwide. Well, and the, the wounded warriors and the veterans, um, I know I said this the last time we talked, I, my dad was 32 and a half years in the Air Force. My brother put 20 years in the Army. And I just think our veterans, I mean, they're the most, they're the most important citizens that we have. They're the ones who put their lives on the line for the country. And the fact that you guys work with them, I think, is awesome. Yeah, it's really awesome. It's funny because in the realm of the military you're basically um, encoded it, it with thinking that, you know, you're going to give your life literally for this work you're doing. And who cares about your pain and your emotions? Keep going. You don't have time for that. That's going to get you killed. And you know, now I think the um, military is really dealing with that that doesn't work because people are killing themselves and committing suicide. And so you start with this thing, well, we got to take care of our veterans. Well, then we got to talk about their feelings. Well, when do we start talking about their feelings? When they get out? Oh, so now it's going back in. And I think the military is really learning how to deal with that. Uh, so we were very lucky as the Air Force um, was really breaking ground in resiliency programs and getting veterans plugged back in through uh, the Air Force Wounded Warrior program. Right when we were starting to take off and my board of directors were like, yeah, let's get to the military. I was like, I actually know a woman in the Air Force. They did one round of the resiliency program and then I contacted them and we were the first ancillary program um, that they added. So we're very lucky and very blessed to be there. and. Um, it's it's probably of all the gigs I've played, I've I've played on stages to eighty thousand people and played with giant rock stars. Of all the gigs, this is probably the most important one to me. I'm very proud of it and honored to get to function here. Well, you you should be proud, and I'm I I'm in awe. I, I'm bowing down <laughs> because I because it's it's just it. You know, the other thing I think that happens so often with military is not so much with my dad, but he loved the military and when he left when he you know there's certain reasons why you have to retire and so he retired and he would have stayed in for another 20 years but but even with people who for whatever reason like they're they're done and they're and then they're out and then they don't know what to do you know they, they i think that happens so often they really don't know how to reintegrate maybe resiliency is what you're talking about reintegrate into regular life yeah, so you you know we as uh, civilians all know what it is with like with our family and our dear friends, and when you go in the military, um, obviously I haven't been in the military. This is what I've picked up and learned is that that's your family, those are the people that you will live and die for, and uh, um, when you leave the military, and often a lot of times they have to leave before they want to, um, so it can be a very rough life. Not only did they lose their career and what was, in my opinion, 
like almost uh, what's the word? Well, like I said before, encoded that this is who you are and what you do. Well, like now you mission. can't do and be who, yeah, your mission in life. Now you can't do and be who you are and what you do. And you've lost your family. So go back to that small town with the damage, with the emotional stuff and have who you are be stripped and not know what to do with yourself. And it's, yeah, it's a very, very tough place. Yep. And with skills that may not even work in that small town. Sure. You know? And, you know, this is not unlike addiction, though, because, you know, addiction, we go on and, and we, we, we identify with this as who we are. I'm a writer and I drink whiskey and it's what I do. And in time, you lose your job and you lose your career and you lose your family. And we have the whiskey or whatever it is, the drugs. And we lose everything. And then when we go to get sober, we lost the last piece of our family, which is the thing that was getting us loaded because that's like your best friend. And you can't hang out with your loading friends anymore. So you got this whole void filled. And so that's why for me, I'm such a big fan of, uh, you know, the 12 step programs, because why the F should I do this alone when there's rooms and rooms and rooms of people just like me or similar to me who get me when I speak and talk of my struggles, when they talk, there's, I, we're on that same level and who've overcome their problems, you know, like it's like getting support from another cancer survivor who goes, yeah, I know what it's like to have breast cancer. Yeah. Let me support you. Oh, you good. You get it. Why would you want to go it alone? That's the insane thing to me. That's a good point. We had a, a gentleman, a young man call us from the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. And the only real lifeline he had was this podcast. And mm -hmm. so he and his wife started a support group so that they could you know, get together with other people who had, who had a similar, similar thing going on. Mm -hmm. Wes, if someone wants to reach Rock to Recovery, how can they do that? It's very easy. There's this thing called the interwebs and uh, <laughs> we're on all the social media. We, uh, you know, it's a registered trademark, Rock to T.O. Recovery. We're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all the places and got a website. Uh, so we're easy to find. I'm easy to find too. Westgear, W-E-S-G-E-E-R. I'm all up on the social medias. So way too many hours a day. So if you DM me, I probably will respond. Awesome. Wes, if you had one message to give to our listeners, um, most of whom are probably loved ones of addicts, what would that message be? Mm, loved ones of addicts. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, you're sick too now. The sad thing is, is when we're around people who are sick, um, it could be cancer even. But what happens is we get sick. We need support. Um, if we have uh, husbands or you know um, children that are suffering from addiction and stuff like that, um, we need support too. And it's really important because oftentimes we're in a place where we're trying to help them and you're actually hurting them and hurting yourself. So that's why there's programs like Al-Anon and you'd be surprised um, how many parents are trying to, or whatever people, loved ones that are trying to help the person they care about and they're actually doing worse, you know? So I would just really say get support from people who've been through what you've been through and have experienced because it's way too dangerous to go it alone. Great. Wes, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Wes Gear again. 
I think that what he's doing with Rock to Recovery and with music is huge. I mean, music can lift you high. So music could be maybe an alternative to drugs and alcohol to give you that feeling of a high. So everyone have a good week. Stay safe, stay healthy. If you are addicted, please reach out right now, right now for help. You can call our sponsor, Narcanon Ojai, 866-231-5924, or reach out to somebody. I don't really care who. I just want you to get help. And if you know someone who's addicted, get them into treatment now, not tomorrow, not when the coronavirus goes away, right now. We'll talk to you again next week. We'll have another interview. Y'all take care. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narcanon Ojai. For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcanonojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.